Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope you're wearing maroon today. Hope you are. And isn't it great that we live in a country we can celebrate Maroon Friday as we wish? I hope you've got a cool employer that allows you to rep the Bulldogs. It's a big ball game weekend. Looking forward to that. I'm going to be hitting the road here a little bit later today. Not going straight to Lexington, though. I'm going to swing through Birmingham and go to the Lyric Theater and go see Steve Vai in concert, then push on up into Nashville and spend the night, finish up the drive tomorrow. So we're, we're going to make a weekend of it, Bulldogs. How about that? Looking forward to that. <clears throat> Looking forward to the show. Looking forward to the ball game. Uh, it's one of those things, too, when you've got a, a nighttime game like that, you can kind of work in some other activities. And so I, I try to because the rock never stops with me. Speaking of, I've got a really cool top 10 list today, too. Of I, I, all the top 10 lists I've done recently, I think this is one of the more important ones. 
And I don't say that because, oh, we're going you know, to commemorate some hairband. No, we're going to give you some new blood today, some outstanding bands of a certain genre that I know many of you love. And no, it's not bluegrass. It's not. You know how it was when we grew up in small town Mississippi? You know, we'd have that thing at the park every year. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, we're going to go have the fall festival, or we're going you know, to have pumpkin palooza or whatever, you know, and we're just going to get out there and say the same old arts and crafts we've always sold, and we'll have, uh, you know, you know, Fat Jim and the Slim Pickers get out there and, and play some bluegrass for us, and all due respect to those people. I mean, obviously, there's a, there's a market for that. But, uh, you know, I'd like to think that we've evolved a little bit, too, but also kind of held true to some of our values. But uh, I, I'm excited about the top ten list today because of the fact that I think that there are some very deserving artists they're going to get some play from some of you all. And I think you're going to listen to some of these bands. You'll be like, you know what? This is outstanding. This is outstanding. This is a list that is uh, kind of near and dear to my heart in many respects. So look forward to that. Of course, we're going to break down uh, a little more of the ball game with Kentucky and Mississippi State. I spent a lot of time this week. I probably have dug deeper into Kentucky this week than I have anybody in a couple of years. Spent a lot of time, watched some games, went back and looked at some tendencies. Not that I'm coaching the game, but I want, yeah, I just want to know what to expect. And Steve Spurrier Jr. said on Wednesday that they expect to get defended kind of like they did last year, which is interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I wrote an article about it yesterday. I'm going to give you some of the highlights a little bit later in the show. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. And now when you go up there, there's a chance that my youngest son may greet you and seat you. He is now part of the Bulldog Burger Company family. Very honored that they, they hired him to work there. And uh, that's one thing I'll say. All of my children have wanted to work, and I think some of that is because they have seen me work. They understand the importance of getting out, and, and I, I've, that was passed down to me by my father. But um, I'm glad that my son's not having to work on a dairy farm like my grandfather's sons did. But uh, the reality of it is, is Bulldog Burger Company is a great place to work, a great place to eat, a great place to go hang out. So if you're looking for the opportunity to go out with friends for an adult beverage, Bulldog Burger has you covered. If you want to go out with the family and just have a fam night, they got you handled there too. It's a multifaceted experience here at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas. That brand new patio area, get a lot of good reviews about that. And also the, the store there in, uh, excuse me, the location there in Gloucester Street in Tupelo. And then, of course, in addition to that, the, uh, the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And maybe get that chocolate shake to go. Take dessert on the run. That is a really cool thing there because sometimes you need a palate cleanser, right? It's like, well, we're kind of in a hurry. I don't really want to have to hang around and wait for another course of, me- of, of meal. And just maybe let your server know as you're getting ready to get the check, hey, we'd like to uh, maybe get that chocolate shake to go. An outstanding opportunity at Bulldog Burger Company. I love them. They love me. You will love them too. And they will love you right back. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's get into our SEC preview. In uh, our jeanspage.com picks, we're, we're picking against the spread this year. And I worried a little bit about that, to be quite honest with you, because the spread is such a volatile thing. I'm going to give you the standings because we're at the halfway point right now. We're at the halfway point, And I think that this is uh, it's maybe it's time for us to kind of take this thing seriously. So real quickly here, these are the, our picks. Here are the standings. 
against the spread, right? And this is everybody on our staff that does this. So bringing up the rear, Dave Murray is 34-28 and 28 this season against the spread. And he's picked kind of a couple games differently than me this week. So either he's going to make up some ground on me or he's going to lose more ground to me. But 34-28. and 28. Fourth in our standings is Paul Jones, 36 and 26. And Paul and I also have a couple this week that, uh, that are opposite. Could be an interesting week. Could be moving week. Third on the list is uh, our friend Robbie Falk. He's 38 and 24 on the season against the spread. And we're just picking SEC games. He's tied with second with Mike Nemeth. And then up in, in front... With a two-game lead at the halfway point, it's the Atlanta Braves. No, it's not. It's your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, 40 and 22 on the year. So it's been interesting. I think the spread makes it a little more uh, intriguing because of the fact that uh, you just never know. It's not just about picking a winner. You know, one of the things, too, it's a little bit crazy, too. I actually picked Vanderbilt to cover against Georgia this week. 38 is a big number. It is, and the fact that both of them run the football. You know, again, Georgia's capable of beating Vandy by as many as they want to. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, call it a gut feeling. I think Vandy covers. They're not going to come anywhere close to winning, but I think they cover. All right, let's take a look at these games. There are a lot of people that think, and I may be completely wrong here, there are a lot of people that think Auburn is going to give Ole Miss a game at home. I, I don't think so. I hate to say it this way, but I, I like this Ole Miss team. Yeah, I don't like Ole Miss, don't get me wrong. But I like this team. I think they're, they're, they're improved on defense. I know that they were, they were good last year. I just think, you know, the, the, the transfer portals worked out well for them on defense. And this running game, I mean, this, this is – and give Lane Kiffin some credit too. Completely changed the offense basically in a year. They're running some of the same concepts, but they're really more of a run-first team this year. It's worked out well for them. Now, granted, they have played a very pedestrian schedule so far. I mean, the best team they've played is Kentucky, who is really middle of the road in the league. But they've done what you should do against those teams. Maybe did quite. Maybe don't have the killer in, instinct against Tulsa. Didn't score in the second half. It's only human nature. You get a huge lead at the half, and – you coast a little bit. But I just don't see Auburn giving Ole Miss a game. I would love for that to happen. I'd love to see Ole Miss lose this week. I just don't see it. And you look at this Auburn thing, and, th- and maybe this is where some of this is coming from. You know, Auburn is a desperate team. Brian Harson is, you know, fighting for his job. And, you know, the thing that we've learned about life, too, if you get fired as a college football coach, you're kind of set for life. It's good work if you can get it. But they're three and three. And there really are – there's not a gimme left on the schedule. So, at some point, you kind of got to dig in your heels. But it's so interesting to look at how this team has played the last three weeks, talking about Auburn. They eke out a win in overtime against Missouri. Had they lost that game, you know, Brent Harson may have been fired before sundown. But they win the game. Missouri basically gifts them the game. The guy's going in with the go-ahead score and fumbles the football into the end zone. Auburn recovers. The game is over. If you read their message boards and their social media commentary, people were like, you know, it, it, if, I wish we'd lost. It feels like we lost, even though we won. And that's what happens when you're on the bottom of the pile in this league. Even when you win, it, you, know, you don't get the euphoria of winning because it doesn't mean anything. The next week, Auburn rides the momentum of that huge win over Missouri 
and they jump out to a 17-0 lead against LSU at home. And you know what? People are thinking, you know what? Okay, we're all right. We're good. We're good. Eventually, LSU wore them down. They come back to win that game late. It's, it's amazing, too, to think, you know, we talk about LSU being a little bit lucky. You know, LSU's got some grit about them, too. They got routed last week. But uh, LSU's got a little grit about them. But, you know, you go back and look at this thing here. You know, 17 to nothing, and then Auburn comes back and surrenders, you know, a touchdown here. Because I, I go back and think about this now that I look at the recap here. Auburn was up 17 nothing with the football. Late in the second quarter. And they fumble and it's returned for a touchdown. Now all of a sudden, LSU has life. And then Jaden Daniels leads them down the field, a 77-yard drive, 11 plays, in under two minutes. Have we seen that before? That kid running the two-minute drill right before the half? We absolutely have against us. And they cash in. So it's 17-14. So for a quarter and a half, Auburn dominates his football game and then doesn't score again the rest of the game. It's crazy. And, and Brian Harson was supposed to be this uh, offensive guru. And then you got to go to Georgia. And yeah, let, let's be honest. I mean, anybody's got to go to Georgia. You, you might as well not bring your best effort sometimes. I mean, I, and I, I hate to excuse it that way, but you're going to get beat. And so Georgia handles Auburn 42-10. And so you've had, you know, back-to-back very close games. But I think really Auburn's problems, you go back even in a non-conference. They just – they didn't play well in non-conference, so you can't expect them to get better in conference. Going on the road to play an Ole Miss team that is really confident right now, it's just a recipe for disaster. I think Ole Miss wins this game and covers. It could be a tussle for a while. I just think in the end that ground game is going to wear Auburn down. That Auburn defensive front is pretty good. There's just not enough playmakers on this team. I think Ole Miss wins this game handily. We'd love to be wrong, but the reality of it is Ole Miss is the better football team. All right, Vanderbilt at Georgia. I told you I expect Vanderbilt to cover. There's no way this is a game. None whatsoever. You know, you look and say, well, you know, Steve, Georgia struggled a little bit with Sanford. Yeah, they struggled a little bit with Kent State. Maybe there's a lack of leadership on this team. Maybe they're not getting up to go, you know, maybe they're playing down level their opponents. Do you remember early in the year when Vandy jumped out to a 3-0 lead? And everybody's like, look at Vandy. I guess that's not right. They were 2-0, and they lost to Wake Forest. That's right. They opened up. They, they go to Hawaii, and they smash Hawaii, which I was wrong. I picked Hawaii. And then they beat Elon which is one step up from the University of Phoenix. And then, then Wake goes into Vanderbilt and basically doubles them up 45-25. Vanderbilt struggles with Northern Illinois. And you know what? You know who else struggled with Northern Illinois? Kentucky. In case you didn't know, Northern Illinois is 1-5 on the year and gave two SEC teams fits. And then, of course, Vanderbilt loses to Alabama, as we expect. And then, you know, Ole Miss – Struggle with them for a half, but then that ground game took over in the second half, and they win. Of course, and another thing I'll say too, and I mentioned this too on Monday show. I, I, I want to reiterate this because some new details have emerged. People are upset about Ole Miss punching that last touchdown in. Guys, it was a walk on. Why would you deny that guy the opportunity? It's not like they're rubbing it in. They have they have walk on in there. I mean, come on. 
I mean, not that I'm going to sit here and give Ole Miss grace for anything, but, I mean, why would you deny a kid that opportunity? You absolutely wouldn't do that. You're happy for the kid. But Ole Miss wins 52-28. And so, you know, this Clark Lee team, as he mentioned in the preseason, they're one day going to be the best college football program in the country. Well, it's not going to be this year. Certainly not. And you begin to look at the schedule. There will be three and four after the weekend. And you begin to look and see what's left. It is a murderer's row in many respects. South Carolina has to go to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt nearly beat them in Columbia last year. And Vanderbilt goes to Kentucky. Florida goes to Vanderbilt. Tennessee goes to Vanderbilt. They got off to the uh, three and one start. They're going to end up three and nine. That's just how it's going to be. I mean, where do you see a win? Maybe, maybe they can compete with South Carolina. Maybe. You just don't see it. It's a different brand of athlete. It just is. Maybe the people need to talk to James Franklin, figure out what he, he had going there. I mean, obviously he had Charles Huff, right? I, I was watching a little bit of that Marshall UL game the other day. Charles with a headset on. Interesting. All right, the game of the week, probably not just in the SEC, but in the, in the nation. And there's some big games. A lot of undefeated teams going head-to-head. Alabama and Tennessee. A lot of people are picking Tennessee. They say, well, it's a toss-up game. It's in Knoxville. You, you favor the home team. Is it really a toss-up game? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. I love this Tennessee team. I, I, I believe, in many respects, I was one of the few in the Southeastern Conference media that picked Tennessee second in the East. I love this team. I think Hayden Hooker is outstanding. I, I don't think that he is probably um, maybe the guy that some people suggested he is because I think he's more of a dual threat guy. But I'll tell you this, he's not one of these uh, raw athlete passers. The guy's pretty polished as a passer. But I like this team. And this Tennessee run defense is legit. But here's the thing that I go back to. And I don't care who you are, where you're from. Alabama is in this moment every single week. Tennessee has probably not been in a position like this in a decade or more. They've had some big games, right? Big games against like Mississippi State and Ole Miss. But when is the last time Tennessee truly had a game on a national stage that really had potential national championship implications? Alabama has beat Tennessee 15 straight times. And so you know what, Steve? I don't have anything to do with this week. I'm a firm believer in that uh, you know, history repeats itself in some respects. But you're right about that. This Tennessee team has never lost Alabama. It's a completely different team than the team that played last year. But if you're Alabama, you think, you know what? We always beat these guys. We beat them. We'll find a way to win. Many of these games have not been competitive. Tennessee and Alabama was competitive for a while last year, and then Alabama took over late. Of course, it all, a lot of it hinges on Bryce Young. If Bryce Young plays and is close to 100%, I think you're good to go. But you start running these numbers. I mean, it's like 48-17, 35-13, 58-21, 45-7, 49-10. You go all the way back to 15. That was a competitive game, 19-14. That's the exception, though. Most of these games have been absolute bloodlettings. 
And it did, hasn't really mattered where they played. Now, again, Tennessee playing with a lot of juice, playing at home, I think it's going to be a ball game. But I think ultimately Alabama wins this game. I do expect Alabama to cover. It's one of the things we've learned about St. Nick is that when everybody kind of counts them out, and including some of us, Nick rises to the occasion. Alabama rises to the occasion. How many of us expected Alabama to win the SEC championship game last year? Ben, be honest. The way that Georgia defense was playing, we said, you know what, they're going to beat Saban. And they didn't. They got him back in an NFL championship game. But Alabama crushed Georgia. You don't think Nick Saban's been getting ready for this? Every time that people, oh, the dynasty's over. And they just go win an NFL championship, Right. A couple years ago, Alabama won an NFL championship but weren't even the best team in the country. That's what great coaching does for you. I like Alabama to win the game. And better luck next year, Tennessee. And they're going to lose a lot. But uh, it's good. I think the SEC needs Tennessee to be good. But for the first time in a long time, this game actually means something. And I don't think anybody's going to begrudge Tennessee for losing this game, even though it's at home. It's a chance for them to take the next step. I just don't think they're quite ready to do it. Okay, Arkansas at BYU, a battle of teams that were previously ranked in the top 25. They're not anymore. Arkansas expected to have K.J. Jefferson back. I think it's a W. I know BYU is favored in this game. I think Arkansas is a better team. Watch BYU play earlier this year. But you begin to look at this thing with Arkansas, and it's, uh, it's interesting, shall we say, Arkansas, and some Arkansas fans would disagree with this. But they have been kind of a media darling, and I think some of that is because of the fact that people like Sam Pippen so much. Now, you think he's a nice guy, and you think, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him do good. I'd like to see him do well. Well, I don't know that's really been the case. They're 3-3 three and three now. Of course, they get off to uh, the 3-0 and o start. And they're in the top ten. And I think we all knew that that was you know, kind of a byproduct of the fact that they were ranked already and just kind of trended their way up as other teams lost. And then they lose to A&M. Shouldn't have lost the ball game. They did. A&M made the place to win. Give A&M credit. But if K.J. Jefferson doesn't dive from the four-yard line, it's probably a different conversation today. But they lose the ball game. They shouldn't. Alabama – crushes them and I know that Arkansas made some plays in the middle of that ball game but Alabama got after them and then Mississippi State beats them by the same margin the next week Alabama wins by 23 State wins by 23 and this defense has kind of been exposed but what's interesting too about you know the Sam Pippen experience I don't know that people have really looked into this nobody talks about this and again maybe it's because uh, people are people like Sam so much and I like Sam Pippen I've never met the guy, but, like, you know, transcribing his press conferences and watching how he interacts with people. The guy seems like a good dude. I mean, it seems like a guy you'd love to kind of sit down and, and have a meal with. You know I mean? He just seems like a very good, down-to-earth type dude. But what's interesting, and let's go back to 2020, and it's interesting that, you know, everybody acts like Mike Leach is, you know, some leper or something. But uh, you look at the results that uh, Leach and Sam Pittman have had now, Leach is better off. Now, to be fair, Sam Pittman's the first-time head coach. But 
you know, they get off. We look back at 2020. You know, they get off to the two and two start. They beat State and Ole Miss. And everybody thinking, hey, well, look at this, because they should have beat Auburn too. They got cheated out of the ballgame. Let's just call it what it is. Auburn Jesus comes through for Auburn, or should we say the SEC office comes through for Auburn. Should have been a fumble. It wasn't. So Arkansas should have been 3-1. and one. And then they lose to A&M, and they beat Tennessee. And you're thinking, hey, these guys are, hey, look at this, man. And then they didn't win another game. So they get the, they get the, they, they get the lead here. You know, it's like you look at the season – they get off to the good start and then end the year on a four-game losing streak. You say, but Steve, but COVID. Okay, I'll grant you that. There were some issues. Even Sam himself had COVID. Let's look back at last year, okay? They get off to the 4-0 start. They beat Rice, beat Texas, beat Georgia Southern, and beat A&M. They're the talk of college football. They go to Sanford Stadium, and people are thinking, oh, they're going to beat Georgia. They get smashed. 37-0. Then they lose to Ole Miss, 52-51. Then they lose to the Auburn Tigers, 38-23, and perhaps the best game of Bo Nix's career at Auburn. Then they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff. They have the week off. And then we get cheated up there, right, on that Martin Emerson call. Not their fault. But they have these lulls in the middle of the season, and they kind of figured it out late. Of course, they beat us in a tight game. They beat LSU in a tight game in overtime. They give Alabama a game, and then they beat Missouri, and then they win the ball game. But there are these stretches in all three seasons with Sam Pittman, and it's not necessarily against the best teams. Like, it'd be one thing if you had, you know, Georgia, Auburn, or Georgia, Alabama, and uh, Tennessee back-to-back weeks, and you can kind of explain it. But, you know, you're losing to a pretty pedestrian Auburn team. You lose to Ole Miss. You know, listen, Rebels were good last year, but that's a game you should have won. But, but you know, it's the thing I look at. It's like you look up and down, and there, there just seems to be once everybody gets a little tape on what Arkansas is doing, things kind of unravel a little bit. And, again, this year, you get off to the 3-0 start, and now you've lost three in a row. So, again, there is this lull in the season. A&M – Pretty average team, I think we'd say at this point. Alabama, a great team. Maybe not what they have been, but still a great team. And Mississippi State, an improving team. Now you go to BYU. BYU is awfully interesting, too. BYU is 4-2 and two on the year. They open up with the big win over South Florida. They beat number nine Baylor, who has uh, really fallen by the wayside as of late. They get smashed at Oregon. They beat Wyoming, beat Utah State, and then lose to Notre Dame 28-20. This is a BYU team that has been tested. They're not going to be the least bit intimidated with Arkansas coming to their stadium. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to pick Arkansas. I I think K.J. Jefferson wills this team to a win. But looking at this, I think it's going to be a wild game. The Arkansas defense, not great. BYU offense, pretty good. I think it's going to be a very entertaining game. And maybe that's something you tune in and watch. Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. 
That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. You got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? I mean, times in the past, I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. Been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. And then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply uh, before, before our game. LSU at Florida. This is another one that uh, could go either way. It's just so interesting to think about. Beginning of the year, I really thought Florida might be a little bit better than they are, and they still have time to turn it around. They're 4-2. and two. It's not like you look at the schedule and like they're behind the chains by any stretch. And they beat Utah that first week. They lose to Kentucky which that surprised me, to be honest with you. And you know what? Thumbs up for Kentucky. Anytime that you go in a swamp and win, it's a big deal. And then South Florida, Florida survives that game, 31-28. That's the night we went down to LSU and you know the rest. And then Florida gives Tennessee all they want and then some in Knoxville. They blow out Eastern Washington and then they squeak by Missouri. Which Florida team is going to show up this week? I had somebody tell me Billy Napier is kind of the master of the one-possession game. There's a bunch of those. I think this one boils down to that. I think LSU at Florida, the, the swamp will be – I don't know if it will be rocking because I don't know if the people are fully on the bandwagon yet. But there will be a lot of people there. It will be a good atmosphere. This is two teams that are basically equal. So the toss-up, we're going to go with the home team. We're going to go with Florida here. But it's so interesting to look at this LSU schedule – and what a difference that uh, extra point made, right, against Florida State? LSU would be 5-1 and one right now, and probably, pr- probably the uh, win last week for Tennessee probably would have been over a top-10 team. It's amazing how much LSU has kind of floundered around this year. You lose to Florida State, you, you smash Southern, you beat Mississippi State, which is your best win of the year, beat New Mexico, you beat a struggling Auburn team barely. You get smashed by Tennessee. You know, we knew that LSU would be okay, be a little bit better than last year. We knew they were in transition. They lost a lot in the portal. A lot of people forget that. LSU lost a lot in the portal. And that, a lot of guys went pro too. But I just think Florida at home is going to be too much for this LSU team and Jaden Daniels. I think they have the athletes to chase Jaden Daniels. So we'll take Florida – and I'm going to give you more about the Mississippi State-Kentucky game later in the show. But uh, let me give you your winners this week. A lot of confidence in these picks, to be quite honest with you. Ole Miss wins. Georgia wins. Alabama wins. 
Arkansas wins, Florida wins, and Mississippi State wins. I think those are your winners this week. We're going undefeated, guys. 6-0, and going undefeated. Uh, but, again, you know, there's some games in here that are kind of coin flip type games. But I, I, you know, based on what I have seen, what I've observed, I feel good about the picks, but you just never know in college football. You never know what's going to happen. You just simply never know. You know. Maybe there's a block punt here. There's an injury there. There's always something that makes it awfully interesting. You know, it's kind of been the year of the backup quarterback in the SEC so far, right? Ole Miss has started a couple different quarterbacks. Alabama started a couple different quarterbacks. Auburn started a couple different quarterbacks. Kentucky. You can go all the way down the list. A lot of teams, of course, Arkansas, Texas A&M, just about everybody, with rare exception, has started multiple quarterbacks this year. I don't know that we expected that. But that's where we are today. So, again, that, that, that's your winners. And um, hopefully you guys have a good weekend, too, those of you that uh, get out and kind of wager on these games. I don't do that. I've learned the hard way. It's just better to pick for fun. All right, time for today's top ten list. Brought to you by my friend, your friend, Blair Chandler. Great young guy. Just a cute little kid, really. 21 years of experience in the mortgage industry. I've said before, nobody stays in that line of work for 20-plus years unless they're winning. They won't keep you around. They're not going to keep you around just because they think you're nice. you got to produce. That's what Blair does. Blair is the guy that gets things done. Maybe you're one of those kind of people. Maybe somebody right now, in the sound of my voice, is facing foreclosure. Right? I mean, let's just get down to brass tacks in this thing. Some, sometimes you need help, and you don't know where to turn. Blair and I have had conversations before about instances in the past where you've had people like that that are facing losing their home, and Blair's been able to come up with a plan and get them taken care of. It's not easy. That's why you need a mortgage professional to guide you through a process like that. Go to closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Or call or text him today on his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. You never know what's going to happen in life. You know, sometimes people lose jobs or things that happen, plants close, and maybe you're in a situation like that where you don't feel like you know where to turn. Turn to my friend Blair Chandler. Anonymity is guaranteed. Contact him today. Get yourself taken care of. Maybe you need to refinance and consolidate some, some debt, get some cash out. Whatever you need to do, Blair can handle all of your mortgage needs at closeofblair.com. Okay, I told, I've kind of hyped up this top ten list. I'm proud of this list. I'm excited about this list. I'm excited to see your reaction to this list. We're doing new Southern Rock. These are, these are 10 Southern Rock bands that if you don't know, you need to know. Now, some of them tour more than others, and some of them, I, well, there's one in particular from Mississippi. I can't tell if they're together or broke up. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like the Kardashians, whatever. You never know who they're dating. Uh, but the reality of it is these are 10 Southern Rock bands that you need to know. Some of them. Skew a little bit blues. Some of them skew a little country, but they're all Southern rock. Some more bluesy and jazzy than others, but you're going to like them all. Now, there's enough for everybody here. There is enough meat on the bone for everybody to get a bite of what they like and enjoy it. 
Everybody can get fed at Rose Bowl's top 10 table today. So I'm going to start with a band that I'm closely affiliated with, and their, their debut single is out there on an EP. They were the openers at Rock Vegas. It's the, uh, the Crazy Kids down from around Crystal Springs, Mississippi. It's four-way stop. And the only original tune you can get right now is Wicked Woman. And I hope that we can find it on Spotify and have it on the list. But Wicked Woman from Four Way Stop, they've got an EP on, on uh, iTunes, on Apple Music, that uh, them doing some covers, and then Wicked Woman. Of course, it's live. But Ryan Purser, who is also a Boneyard listener, is an up-and-coming vocalist. And we're, we're going to do some things. You know, i got some friends. We're going to try to get these guys a little more exposure. But number 10 on your list is Four Way Stop's Wicked Woman of new Southern rock bands you should know. All right, number nine, if you like blues guitar, the Marcus King band might just be for you. It is a blue-collar, gritty appeal in this track. Everything about this is great. It's a song called The Well. I think you're going to absolutely dig that one. And, and he's got some other ones that are pretty good, too. Got a couple of albums out there. And be sure and check them out. And again, very bluesy. Very bluesy, but it's the up-tempo blues, too. Number eight, I should have put this one a little bit higher, to be quite honest with you. It's Caleb Johnson. And if you don't know Caleb Johnson, you're gonna, I think you're going to be extremely excited when you put his catalog on. This track, Devil's Daughter, is absolutely legit. I listened to some Caleb Johnson, listened to the whole album one time through, went back and listened to it again. A lot of good tracks. It's a difficult decision to decide which one, to, which way to go. I think Devil's Daughter is probably the greatest representation of the Caleb Johnson catalog. And a lot of these bands are from the South. You know, Mississippi and Baton Rouge and Nashville and Alabama. Number seven, Robert John and the Wreck. Shine a light on me, brother. Now, this again, this is kind of bluesy. Also, a little bit, there's almost a little gospel influence in this. It's a good time and band, but there's, they've got choral arrangements and everything. It's, it, it's, a, it, it's quite the deal, man. I mean, it's like it's one of these bands, you turn it on, it's like it, the whole thing feels like a party. Robert John and The Wreck, and that's off the brand new album for them. Number six, a band from Mississippi. I haven't seen these guys live yet, it's a shame i got to make it a point to go do that. And it seems like here as of late, when I've looked at their dates, they've kind of conflicted with the fact that we got college football to cover, right? So I haven't seen them yet. I hope to. We've talked about them on the show before. It's a band from Gulfport, Mississippi. It's Magnolia Bayou. I went with one of my favorite tracks. My, my favorite one is probably When a Good Dog Goes Bad. But the song Sweet Magnolia is absolutely beautiful. The vocal arrangement is amazing instrumentation is amazing there's also a song on that particular album called tupelo you may dig that one but sweet magnolia it's just one of those that just hits you right in the, the right spot makes you feel all warm inside all right number five another band from mississippi and again i never know what's going on with these guys every time i turn around oh, they're back together they're not back together they're going to do this show they're not doing a show they don't like you it's uh from it's the native sons of natchez mississippi it's bishop gunn a lot of people would have gone with Alabama here, which Alabama is an amazing song. Tells a, a crazy tale. It's, it's wonderful. But I went with one that's a little bit 
tuned down a little bit, it's the devil is a woman. Is even like I mentioned to Robert Johnson, and it's a it's a great song, very powerful song. Right, this, the, the next four though, I love every band so far. The next four, this is next level stuff, man. Number four, we've talked about this. We, this song has been on a top ten list before, and it was on the like father like son list that we did when I was out in Omaha. It's Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. On to the next. I listen to this song regularly. I absolutely love it. The guitar is great. The lyrics are great. Everything about it is great. It's great. You listen to it, you'll feel great too. Tyler Bryant and Shakedown. And now this catalog is pretty diverse too. It's not like everything is not like on to the next, but they've got a lot of cool tracks. They've been out with a lot of major bands. Number three, band recently released their debut album. It's the Georgia Thunderbolts. My favorite track on that album is Lend a Hand. And they're all really good, but Lend a Hand to me kind of shines above the rest. The Georgia Thunderbolts, I believe my buddy Blake Dees turned me on to them. I'm almost positive that's the case. Blake Dees, I think Blake and those guys went out and did some shows with them. And he goes, dude, you got to listen to these guys. And he was absolutely right. I love them. Absolutely love them. But Lend a Hand is the way to go. Number two, a band that uh, has recently made my radar. I missed them. And a good friend of mine sent this to me and said, Stevie's guys are on their way to being an excellent Leonard Skinner. I don't know that I agree with that. I think that's probably a little bit unfair. But it's them dirty roses. I love these guys, man. And it's one of those things, too, like they've got a song for every mood. But in, at the heart of it, it, they're kind of a blues band, per se. But we're going to go with Whiskey in My Cup. I don't drink anymore. They have another song called Cocaine and Whiskey that, that's very clever. Very clever. But we're not going to advocate cocaine on the show. But it's Whiskey in My Cup. It's a great track. It's got a good vibe to it. Be sure and check that out. Number one, now this may not be my favorite song from this band. But I thought it might. I thought you may be more inclined to listen to this. This band is absolutely on their way. I haven't seen them live yet. I plan to. I'd like to get out and see all these bands live. You know, I, I go to a lot of shows. I have a lot of time to myself. When uh, when I get a chance to get loose, I like to go to I like to go go to shows. I love live live music. But it's a band called the Delta Sons out of Nashville. They have a song called Mississippi. Now the vocal and the earlier part of the song, I'll be honest with you, it's not great. It's good. It's not great. When the band kind of kicks up, it's a it's a wonderful track. But the Delta Sons, there is just a something about them. They have something. Yeah, it's like it's difficult to really describe. I don't know if they just have the blues in their soul or whatever, but they're a great band. I think you'll dig them. But the new blood of Southern Rock represented today on our top ten list. Four-way stop, Marcus King, Van Caleb Johnson, Robert John in the wreck, Magnolia Bayou, Bishop Gunn, Tyler Bryant, the Shakedown, George Thunderbolts, them Dirty Roses, and the Delta Suns. I think there are a lot of people that maybe have been waiting for their list. This is it. If you like Southern Rock, oh, well, Steve, I like Blackfoot. Oh, well, this is for you. I like Leonard Skinner. This is for you. I like Black Song Cherry. This is for you. Love these guys, man. And again, some of these bands won't make it. It's so tough to make it. 
but a lot of these bands will. It's kind of the new blood, the new generation of Southern rock. So let's celebrate that today. Be sure and, and, and listen, let me know. Some of you are so, like I have so many people that hit me up and say, Steve, I'd never really listened to this band or I only knew this song. And I dig this list. And uh, thanks for turning me on to that. There are other people like, hey, Steve, I don't like top ten lists. And you know what? You can get glad in the same pair of pants you got mad in. But uh, this is my gift to you. I'm trying to share some cool music here. And, uh, you know, whether you like it or whether you don't, it's, uh, it's a feature that's done really well for us. But um, I think this is a list that a lot of people have been kind of in, Maybe didn't know they were waiting for this, but I think when you listen to this, it's going to open your eyes to some new music that I think you're going to absolutely love. So there you go. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. Best way to do that is to go through Roy. Hit Roy up on Twitter at Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find our great list over on Spotify, too. How about that? Just go to Spotify, boom, plug it on. If you're like me sometimes, too, when I'm making these long trips, I kind of run out of stuff to listen to. I mean, it's like, how many times have I listened to this album? I want something fresh. I'll put it on a podcast or whatever. And every so often, I'll run across a list. Like, there'll be some obscure list of some, you know, something that I'm unfamiliar with. And I'll put it on. And I find these new bands for you and for me. And there's sometimes I'll go through and I'm like, oh, what was that great song from this band? And I'll find that then what happens, you know, Apple Music will kind of advance you to something in the same genre. I kind of dig that, too. I tell you, Speaking of that, one of my favorite songs right now. You're going to laugh. You've probably never heard this song. It absolutely rocks, man. It's a song called Bloodsucker by a band called Pink Cream 69. Have never heard those guys in my life. And I was listening to House of Lords. It was founded by Mississippi's own Greg Jafria, a product of the Gene Simmons revolution from Kiss. Gene kind of you know, promoted that band early on, produced their first album. But all of a sudden, Apple Music advances the song, and all of a sudden, I start hearing this guitar, and I'm like, hey, this is, this is pretty good. Who is this? And then the vocal comes in, and I'm like, holy smokes. I listened to that song this morning as I was getting ready. It's Bloodsucker by Pink Cream 69. What a crazy name for a band, right? And so I asked some of my friends at Lillian Axe if they'd heard of these guys. Not only had they heard of them, Pink Cream 69 has opened shows for Lillian Axe. How crazy is that? Nuts. Great track. Maybe check that one out. Bloodsucker by Pink Cream 69. And somebody's going to make Steve, this is a joke, right? No, it's not. It's because they're a serious rock band. I was thinking they were like Steel Panther or something. They're legit. And while I'm talking about that, go listen to that House of Lords album, too. Love that. House of Lords, man. Those guys are great. great. The song that led me to Bloodsucker is a song called Rock Bottom from House of Lords. If you don't know it, you certainly should. But that's the top ten list for today. Thanks to Roy, as always, for putting all these lists together for us. Roy uh, gets paid nothing to do this. He just does it because he enjoys the top ten list and thinks many of you do as well. So he makes it more convenient and easy for you guys uh, to find that music. You, know, you don't have to go write, write it down or remember anything. Roy's got you covered. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too. You probably are already raving fans of Campus Bookmart. Next time you're in town, go by and check them out. The Bully Shop completely renovated. The greatest selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the universe. Doing a great job for a great fan base. They'll treat you like family because in their minds you are family. Most of the employees there, Mississippi State people, they know what you like. They know what you want. You like that new script, Mississippi State? 
branding. They've got a fine selection of that merchandise, too. Go by and check it out. If you can't make it to town, I encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's take a look at the stats. Your SEC stats report. Will Rogers leads the SEC and the nation in passing 2,110 yards. Stetson Bennett from Georgia is uh, second with 1744. So pretty sizable lead there for Will. We'll see what happens this weekend with Georgia and Vanderbilt. But uh, I think it's going to be difficult for, for Stetson to catch Will. Way back in third is Hendon Hooker, who is nearly eight, excuse me, 700 yards behind Will Rogers at 1432. Will Levis from Kentucky, 1405. Of course, that'll be a big ball game uh, this weekend against a pretty good secondary. Ole Miss is Jackson Dart, 1358. Spencer Radler from South Carolina. I don't know if he's performed up to expectations or not. You know, he, uh, he leads the SEC in interceptions thrown with eight. But 1,298 yards, 65.8% completion percentage. Brady Cook from Missouri is seventh with 1,217. Jaden Daniels from LSU, eighth. Bryce Young, 1,202 yards. Did you expect to see that? Yeah, he missed a game and a half. That's hurt the numbers. And maybe that impacts the all-SEC list at the end of the year. Still a lot to go. But you look at it, you say, well, he's only 20 yards ahead of Anthony Richardson, former Heisman candidate Anthony Richardson. His Heisman candidate lasted about, candidacy lasted about 15 minutes. K.J. Jefferson, uh, 1096. Robbie Ashford, the new starter at Georgia, 874. A completion percentage for him of 47.97%. A.J. Swan from Vanderbilt, the second quarterback there, 848. Then Haynes King, 763. A&M quarterback play has been a real issue for them. A completion percentage, of course, uh, that's always interesting. Will Rogers leads the SEC, 71.63 completion percentage. Hendon Hooker at 70%. That's outstanding. Stetson Bennett, third. Will Levis is four. Jaden Daniels is five. Bryce Young is six. KJ seven, Spencer Rattler eight. Yards per passing attempt. This is where people always talk about Will Rogers. Will is tenth, seven point four eight yards per passing attempt. Hendon Hooker though, leading the conference with ten point two three yards. Will Levis just under ten. So they're throwing the ball down the field a little bit. And the way that I look at that, the more Kentucky throws it, the better it is for us because we're going to catch some of those. Passing touchdowns thrown. Will Rogers leads the SEC, 22 passing touchdowns. Bryce Young uh, down there in second at 14. Will Levis with 12, Hendon Hooker with 10, and nobody else in double digits. Interceptions, this is what's always interesting to me. I mentioned Spencer Rattler with eight. Anthony Richardson has seven. Brady Cook from Missouri with six. Haynes King, despite playing more of a limited role there because, you know, uh, Max Johnson started a couple games, five interceptions for them. And then Jackson Dart from Ole Miss there at five. Levis at four. Will Rogers sixth. He and Bryce Young and Robbie Ashford all tied with three. 
sacks allowed, quarterbacks being sacked. Some of this is on a quarterback, but most of it, most of it is on the offensive line. You'd probably be surprised to know this because we had so much trouble with this guy. Jaden Daniels actually has been sacked more than any quarterback in the Southeastern Conference with 20. And then Will Levis, 19. So six sacks last week against the backup, but 25 sacks as a whole. I share with you guys on Wednesday, 128th in the country and sacks allowed is Kentucky. Spencer Radler, 12 sacks, tied with Brady Cook. Will Rogers is down there with eight. Will Rogers, Hendon Hooker, K.J. Jefferson, Robbie Ashford, all those guys more mobile than Will Rogers, but eight sacks and State hadn't had any in two weeks. Be nice to keep that streak going uh, for another week. Now, quarterback rating, a lot goes into this, but Hendon Hooker is uh, rated the top-rated quarterback in the Southeastern Conference. Just behind him is Will Levis, 174.91 for Levis. Bryce Young, 172. KJ is fourth. Will Rogers is fifth with a QBR of 158.10. And of course, you say, well, Steve, how does that calculate? Well, the difference is the yards per attempt. They're throwing the ball down the field with greater regularity. So as a result, their QBR is up. Even though Will has more yards, Will also has more attempts, more completions, everything else. But great job by Will Rogers so far. Dead last. And QBR in the, in the league is Robbie Ashford from, from Auburn. What's interesting, Anthony Richardson held that mark for a while, but now Haynes King and Robbie Ashford uh, beneath them. It's interesting, too, the, the more mobile quarterbacks, a lot of those guys maybe not doing quite as well. Spencer Rattler, Brady Cook, Jaden Daniels, even Stetson Bennett. His QBR is not exactly uh, stellar, and he is a very athletic quarterback. And he's eighth in the league. That's your passing numbers. Let's look at the rushing stuff. Now, we're not going to lead these categories anymore. However, Dylan Johnson doing a good job for Mississippi State. Woody Marks is as well. But we're not going to have the numbers that perhaps some other people are. But Dylan Johnson in the top ten, number eight, number eight most successful rusher in the conference, 402 yards through six games for him. I don't think he gets the 1,000-yard mark because – we're just not going to, you know, ride one running back. But uh, Raheem Sanders from Arkansas, even though he didn't get 100 yards last week, he still leads the league and has over a 100-yard lead over the number two guy, who is freshman Quinchon Judkins from Ole Miss, who has got 581. Jameer Gibbs from Alabama has emerged as their bell cow in the running game, 532. Devin Achan, we've seen him, 528 yards. So State's seen two of the top four, and we'll see the other two before the schedule is over. Ray Davis from Vanderbilt is fifth in the league. Zach Evans, Ole Miss with two in the top six. Zach Evans, 469. And then Marshawn Lloyd from South Carolina is seven. Then Dylan Johnson. Uh, Nathan Pete from Missouri. Montrell Johnson from Florida. If you had a Mississippi State running back ahead of a Florida running back, considering the Billy Napier scheme, you've won Bulldog Bingo. Jaden Daniels, 11th. Tank Bigsby, who I think is underutilized at Auburn, and there's not a lot of pieces around him. Just 345 yards. Tank was a preseason All-SEC selection. He's really going to have to work hard, really going to have to work hard to get up into the top ten. You begin to kind of do the math on that through six games. You begin to think, you know, we're almost we're at the halfway point for most teams. Chances of him even getting 800 yards seems to be somewhat remote. All right, rushing touchdowns. Quinshawn Judkins from Ole Miss, eighth. That's the thing, too. You begin to look at Judkins and you begin to think, 
And I know some people out there will look at him and say, well, he's a freshman. He'll make freshman all SEC. Based on the numbers at this point, how do you not have him as, as maybe your, your second team or your second running back in the all SEC? And so good job by Ole Miss for identifying a kid that could come in and play early and do a good job. Marshawn Lloyd has seven for South Carolina. Uh, Jamari Small from Tennessee, who was outstanding last week against LSU with six. Zach Evans with six, also for Ole Miss. And then Jaquavius Marks with five, which is, makes him fourth uh, in the SEC. Dylan Johnson's carried a lot of mail, but only has uh, three touchdowns for Mississippi State on the ground. Look at the receiving numbers. This is interesting. Jonathan Mango from Ole Miss had a huge game last week, set an Ole Miss school record for uh, single-game receiving yards. Jumps to first in the conference at 507 yards. Now, Jonathan Mingo, while he has been hurt most of his career, it's just kind of been jag core for them. Just another guy. Showed last weekend he could be a real weapon. Dominique Lovett from, Van, from Missouri, excuse me, is second, just behind Mingo by eight yards. Will Shepard from Vanderbilt, 452. Tavion Robinson, who is kind of the straw that stirs the drink in the passing game for Kentucky, 25 catches for 392 yards. Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, then Jaden McGowan. You go, I have to go all the way down to Rara Thomas at 10, 368. He's just behind former Bulldog commitment Malik Neighbors, who is not. But 368 yards. Now, now receptions, this is where things change a good bit here. Will Shepard from Vandy, who maybe needs to get in the portal. 35 receptions for him. Dominic Lovett from Missouri with 31. Jaden McGowan, 29 for Vanderbilt. Malik Neighbors. It's like salt in the wound, isn't it? Fourth in the conference with 28 receptions. Caleb Ducking tied with him at 28. That's your highest-rated Bulldog. But then you've got three Bulldogs basically within the top five totals, Rufus Harvey and Dylan Johnson, both with 27. That'll get the job done, right? Spread the ball around like that. And Rufus Harvey, I'm happy to say that I was wrong about him. I worried about his size, but he has been outstanding for Mississippi State. The next Bulldog on the list, Jaquavius Marks, down there with 23 at 8. I think you're going to see some Bulldogs have a lot of receptions this weekend. Rara Thomas with 21 is the 10th highest total. 11th is Tulu Griffin there with 20. So a lot of Bulldogs with 20-plus catches. Receiving touchdowns. Will Shepard from Vanderbilt with a one-touchdown lead on Caleb Ducking. Will Shepard, they're on a good, great player on a bad team. That guy's leading the conference in a lot of receiving statistical categories, and they're going to go three and nine. Caleb Ducking, I would like to say that he emerged out of nowhere, but he really didn't. We talked about him a lot in fall camp. Seven touchdowns for him. He's probably a guy that a lot of people didn't know about. He redshirted his first year. He played behind Makai Polk last year. Finally getting his chance to shine, taking full advantage. Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee has five. Treshawn Holder from Alabama with four. And then Austin Williams from Mississippi State is fifth, tied for fifth with three. And Austin Williams, just 12 receptions on the year. That's a bit of a surprise there. But uh, tied with a host of players there with three, including Rara Thomas, Jaden Wally, Jonathan Mingo, Jare Jenkins. You don't see Kayshawn Butte's name mentioned much, do you? That's interesting. It is to me. Should be the money year for him. It hasn't been. Let's look at some kicking numbers, too, because sometimes we think it only happens to us. Leading kicker in the conference is Jack. I know I'm going to mess this up. 
Podlesny, I'm sorry, Jack, but he's 12-14 on the year. Harrison Mevis from Missouri, 11-14. Chase McGrath, 8-10. Matt Ruffalo from Kentucky, 7-10. You get down to Ben Rabin, who's 4-6. We don't attempt many field goals, but uh, just about everybody has a mess, with the exception of Mitch Jeter uh, from South Carolina. You look at field goal percentage here, you think it only happens to us because we're only acutely aware of what goes on with us. But Georgia's missed a couple. Tennessee's missed a couple. Missouri's missed three. I mean, you run all the way down the list. Everybody's missed some. We've only missed a couple, too. But the um, reality of it is we've got to get it figured out. What's interesting, too, about Harrison Mebus, we, we talked about him earlier. This guy is outstanding, though, from distance. Four converted field goals, 40 to 49, and then three from 50-plus. Man, you talk about a weapon. A guy, when you have a drive bogged down, that can make some plays for you. That's outstanding. All right, punting. State situationally has been very, very good in punting. But we don't punt an awful lot, so we're not going to do an, an awful lot when it comes to punting numbers. Of course, uh, Vanderbilt has the most punting yardage at 1421, and then Texas A&M at 1245. We don't have a guy on the top ten in that respect. Now, when you get into uh, average yards, you know, game yards divided by punts, Jay Bramlett from LSU leads the SEC 46.04. Kentucky's Colin Godfellow is ninth at 41.55. So, could be an issue in the ballgame. Returning, this is where – Mississippi State has some advantages. Devin Achain still leads the SEC with 287 returning yards. However, Tulu Griffin is just now seven behind him. They both have nine kick returns. The difference is, is that Achain had the long return for 95 yards, the one for a touchdown. If you, uh, if you erase his longest return and Tulu's longest return, then Tulu is, is leading. So he's kind of riding that. So the average return is 31.89 yards for Achain, just 31.11 for Tula Griffin. He will get some opportunities this weekend. My hope is Kentucky doesn't kick off an awful lot. But if they do, I think you have a chance to see Tulu uh, break one this week. That'd be amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Punt return, which is, uh, you know, I think Xavier Thomas, again, is probably just – one block away from breaking one. He is fourth in the SEC. Fourth in the SEC in, uh, in punt returns with nine. You look at punt return yards, Xavion is sixth with 96, but yards per return, fifth in the SEC. And just basically one return away from creeping into the top three. Kool-Aid McInnistry from Alabama leads the SEC with 16.79 yards per return. That's Again, that's a nice weapon there. Josh Van from South Carolina at 13.75. Then there's Bryce Stevens from Arkansas, Lad McConkie from Georgia, and then Xavier Thomas, 10.67. Very close, very close to moving into the top four and potentially the top three. Not, not been a lot of punt returns for touchdowns this year within the conference. We always think we're just one away. There's only been one punt return return for touchdown in the SEC this year, and that was Bryce Stevens uh, from Arkansas. That was in that uh, Missouri State game. When's the last time we could say that, that halfway through the year? You only got one punt return for touchdown. That's always interesting to me. 
on the kicking side, there's only been one kickoff return for touchdown. That's Devin Achain. What's happening with special teams in the SEC? You're not seeing those big plays. Coverage units, I'm doing a pretty good job in that respect. Maybe Mississippi State gets on that chart this week. That's certainly the hope. Let's look at the defensive numbers here before we move forward. Still leading the SEC in tackles, Anthony Orjai from Vanderbilt with 61. Now, just behind him are two guys that had really big ball games last weekend against Mississippi State. Bumper pool with 60, and then Drew Sanders with 59. The top ready Bulldog is Jet Johnson with 57. 57 tackles. But, you know, what's interesting, Jet doesn't have a sack this year. Maybe it's how we're using him. We're sending Buki Watson a lot more on the blitz, but Jet. 57 tackles, so he is four away from the lead. With Kentucky being kind of a run-first, play-action-pass offense, you could see Jet put together a big game here. But those Arkansas linebackers, say what you want to about that defense. Those backers are making plays. And Bumper Pool now more tackles than anybody in the history of the Arkansas program. Got to go a little bit farther down to number nine. DeAndre Square in Kentucky and Buki Watson, along with Chris Russell from A&M, Owen Papoa from Auburn, and Jardin Gilbert from A&M, all with 41. And so Buki, despite the fact that he basically missed a full game, is right there in the top ten. You could see him make a nice run this week, too, and possibly move up uh, safely uh, into the top six or seven. But linebackers making plays, for sure, for the Bulldogs. Former Bulldog lean, Edron Cooper for A&M has been outstanding, too. 37 tackles on the year. DeCamryon Richardson, one of the top defensive backs in the conference when it comes to tackles. He's got 37 as well. Let me start running through the list here. Just There's just not a lot of DBs that are having the, the same level of production that DCAM is. And that was one of the things we worried about, is with Martin Emerson moving on, how would we be at the spot opposite Emmanuel Forbes? So, so far... We've been really good, if not better, dare I say it. And Martin Emerson was outstanding, which I think speaks well of the year that DCAM is having. Uh, Jalen Green down at 21 with 29 tackles, kind of quietly having a really good year for Mississippi State. good friend of mine kind of mentioned that um, Jalen hadn't had his impact play the last couple of weeks. And early in the season he was. I think a lot of people were kind of avoiding him a little bit, but I think you could see him maybe have an impact play this weekend against Kentucky. All right, let's look at sack leaders. Drew Sanders leads the SEC from Arkansas with seven. Will Anderson with five. You'd expect that. Jordan Dominique from Arkansas with five. Amari Bernie from Florida with four. He's tied with Derek Hall from Auburn. Then Ojalari from LSU, who is an absolute monster. Missed some time earlier this year. He has four sacks. Byron Young at Tennessee with four. And then there's Buki Watson with three from Mississippi State. And, again, he's a game down on most of his competition there. But three sacks on the season. Leads Mississippi State. Randy Charlton has a couple for State. Nathan Pickering has two for State. Colin Duncan has two for State. Bringing him on that safety blitz, especially on the front side, has been very successful. Tyrus Wheat with a couple. J.P. Purvis in very limited action has a couple. So, you know, we're getting to the quarterback and the pressure is coming from everywhere. Pass is defended. And you would think that a lot of these people that we play against, uh, their numbers would be up there. The number one defensive back on this list, Carrington Valentine from Kentucky. Has one pick on the year, but seven passes defended. It'll be interesting to see how we attack him. Kool-Aid McInnistry also with seven from Alabama. Hudson Clark from Arkansas with seven. 
No picks for him. Ole Miss' DeAndre Prince, a guy that left and came back, has six, having a good season for sure. Emmanuel Forbes tied for second with six along with Prince. Chris Abrams-Drain, a guy that Mississippi State was one of his first offers. He went to LSU, transferred to Missouri. He's got five. You get a little bit deeper on the list here. D.J. James, former Bulldog commitment, that signed with Oregon, transferred to Auburn. He has five as well. So some familiar names on this list, uh, to say the least. Colin Duncan from Mississippi State with three. DeCamryon Richardson also with three. Jalen Green with a couple. And, again, pretty good play in the secondary for the Bulldogs. Interceptions. This is a statistic that favors Mississippi State. Emmanuel Forbes leads the SEC with four interceptions, so six passes defended and four interceptions. Of course, he took one back for a touchdown. Arkansas's Dwight McLaughlin with three did not have one against Mississippi State. You have to get down the list to find the next guy. Of course, Jalen Green has got one, and then Sean Preston, Nathaniel Watson, you know, all with one there. But, uh, again, Emmanuel Forbes with four. Jackie Matthews also had a big one last week for State. So four picks. So we're leading the SEC, and you look at the, the year that Emmanuel Forbes is having. 17 total tackles, and that's what everybody's staying away from him, but six passes defended, four interceptions, having an all-SEC caliber year. And you throw in the play that, that he's made on special teams, you begin to realize this guy's a real dude. Is he back next year? I don't expect it. But, you know, you never know. We'll see. But I think you begin to look at this and see, you know what, Emmanuel Forbes has taken all of this disrespect and kind of flipped it around and made it a motivating factor for him having a big year. Need him to have a big ball game this weekend against the University of Kentucky. I think everybody would, would probably agree with that. We need to have good play in the secondary. And I think the key to that, too, we'll talk about this in the next segment of the show, is going to be stopping the run. you got to stop the run, which kind of in many ways eliminates play action, your safeties aren't quite so conflicted when they don't have to honor the run. If you can control that with your front six, it changes things uh, dramatically. Let's take a quick look at the standings, too, before we get into our final thoughts about the ballgame. Georgia 3-0 in the SEC East, 6-0 overall. No surprise there. Tennessee 2-0 and 5-0 overall. And then everybody else has at least a loss or two Florida 1-2 in the league, 4-2 overall. Kentucky 1-2 in the league, 4-2 overall. South Carolina 1-2 in the league, 4-2 overall. So a little bit of a glut there in the middle. Missouri is 0-3 and 2-4 and and overall. Vanderbilt 0-2 and 3-3 and and overall. You begin to look at this Georgia team, and it's really you begin to ask yourself, short of them stubbing their foot against Tennessee, you feel like they could wrap up the East you know, fairly early in the season. I think Tennessee is a team that will drop this ball game to Alabama, and I don't think they can beat Georgia. So that would give Georgia at least a two-game lead on everybody within the league, and you just play a conference game. So, you know, they could wrap this thing up here. Uh, you're here in a few weeks. SEC West, Alabama, of course, first, 3-0, 6-0 overall. Ole Miss – I guess a half game back with a 2-0 record in the league and 6-0 overall. Things are about to change for Ole Miss. They, they've played the easy part of their schedule. A lot of toss-up games coming ahead. It's going to be interesting to see how Ole Miss plays in those games that um, are a little more tightly contested. LSU 2-1 in the conference and 4-2 and overall. And I don't know. So Mississippi State is 2-1 and then 5-1 and overall. I guess they did that alphabetically. 
Auburn is one and two and then three and three. A and M one and two and three and three. And Arkansas one and three and three and three. If you had Arkansas with three conference losses at this point in the schedule, uh, you probably will have will have won something. But three conference losses, and you begin to look at the rest of that schedule, you begin to realize Arkansas their season is on the brink. There's no question about that. You know Auburn, of course, you know, those two teams will eventually play. But I look at this pecking order, and so many people had State pick sixth in the West. Well, right now you hold the tiebreaker over A&M and Arkansas. And you've got the better record. And so when you start thinking about the ball pecking order, I think those wins are going to prove to be very significant for Mississippi State. Another, another interesting thing I like about this, um, this standings chart is it gives you points for and points against. Mississippi State is allowed 126 points this year which is a little more than some of our SEC West competition. State has scored 231 points, which is second in the, excuse me, third in the SEC West. Ole Miss has scored 238, and Alabama scored 266. Of course, State hadn't had the benefit of the FCS game yet. But Alabama outscoring people rather significantly, almost 200 points on the season. On the eastern side of things, Georgia scored 237, which, of course, you'd expect. Tennessee, 234. This Tennessee team can score. But the points against for Tennessee is just 89. And so you begin to pair this up with this Alabama game, and you can see why so many people expect it to be close. Tennessee is much improved. I just go back to the fact Alabama has been in this moment so many times. Kentucky, Mississippi State's opponent, has scored 158, 158 points this year, allowed 98. That's probably as close as you get without having you know, a 500 or worse record. Arkansas has actually allowed more points than they've scored. They've allowed 193 and scored just 177. A&M only 16 points to the good. Auburn has allowed 150 and scored just 122. So it's interesting to see so many teams who have played the bulk of their non-conference schedule to be outscored. That didn't really bode well for the rest of the year. Vanderbilt leads the SEC with 221 points allowed. That's no surprise there. But Missouri right there at 151-148. It's all very interesting to me. Because you, you start looking at this stuff and begin to wonder, you know, what, what's really the deal uh, with all of this, with, you know, with scoring? It's an important part of things. Because the team that scores the most points wins the game, right? It kind of goes without saying. But I think that's important to kind of get. That, and, and looking well, – before we move on from this – Total offensive numbers. Mississippi State fifth in the SEC in total offense with 2,768 yards. Kentucky, this week's opponent, 2,138 yards. They are 13th in offense in the Southeastern Conference. And they really haven't played a defense quite like Mississippi State. And again, we gotta, we got to stop the run. But when you start adding up you know, yards per game here, Tennessee first in the conference at 547, but State 461, Kentucky 13th at 356. Something else that kind of favors Mississippi State. Of course, State's going to lead in passing. You'd expect that. But Kentucky right there, too, at four. Six, you know, almost 600 yards behind Mississippi State. We talk about the total points category. When you mesh everybody together, State has scored the fifth most points in the conference at 231. Kentucky 11th with 158. The team that scored the fewest, of course, is Auburn. 
And that's the thing, too. You bring in Brian Harson and you think he's an offensive-minded coach, and now we can't score. Now, granted, they were hurt some by the portal. Then there's Jimbo Fisher, the quarterback whisperer, 13th in the league at 129 points. Tough to win games when you can't score. Pretty remarkable. When you look at the, you know, the teams that are playing exceptionally well, everybody's you know, averaging right around 40 points, including Mississippi State, 38.5 points a game. Kentucky averaging 26.33. And again, I, I would venture to say that we've played better competition than they've had. I think that's fair to say. And at the end of the day, we got to go up there and play. we got to go play. All right, final segment of the show, if we talk a little bit more about the matchup, is brought to you by Portico. My friend, Brooks Bryan, Mississippi State's friend, your friend, the world's friend, Brooks Bryan, part of a great group of developers bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville. It's Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, Portico's where I'd move. If you're considering to move to Starkville, and you certainly should, Brooks has got a call. Let me give you his number, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Portico, very conveniently located for Bulldog fans. You turn off of 82 onto 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You pass it a million times going to campus, and you always wonder, well, I wonder where that goes. It goes to your new place. You take that ride on Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stop, and boom, there's Portico right to the right. Go by and check it out next time you're in town. You don't need a real estate agent. Just take a, a self-guided tour through the neighborhood. And maybe you're looking for a ball game weekend retreat. Maybe it's your second home. Maybe it's your primary residence, future retirement home. I don't know. But they've got a plan for you. You could start with a two-bedroom, two-bath, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath. You'll be glad you did because all of your family is going to want to stop and see you on the way to the game. And maybe you tailgate from home, right? Instead of, instead of going to campus, it's, hey, let's just tailgate right here in the backyard. And then we'll all get in the car and go to the ball game and come back. You can have your little man cave set up and all that good stuff. You can grill. Maybe that's what you want to do. If I was moving to Starkville, I'd move to Portico. No doubt about it. And you should. Brooks's phone number one more time, 601-416-8075. Be sure and check it out. A lot of Bulldogs involved with that project, as you would expect. Okay, I did a bit of a deep dive into uh, Mississippi State and Kentucky last year. Sat down, watched the game again, charted every single play. Wrote an article about it. And uh, looking for my notes right here as, uh, as I talk to you guys. I'm not the most organized person, you may have guessed. But Mississippi State ran through these numbers, 37 first down plays. 37. Now, that's given and earned, right? Because you get a first down when you get the football, right? So given and earned. And of those 37 first down plays, State gained ground on 32 of them. So you're winning on first down. The five that didn't was an incompletion. Think about that for a second. We had one incompletion on first down the entire game against Kentucky in 2021. One. We had one loss of two yards and two losses of one yard, and then we had a run for no game. So in the end of those 37 first down plays, we only lost yardage on three of them. We only got behind the chains three times other than a couple penalties. My point is State was winning on first down. 
When you win on first down, you get into second, medium, second, manageable. It opens up the playbook for you a little bit because you can call whatever you want to on second down, especially when you get into a, you know, maybe a second short. You can take a shot down the field, whatever, because you feel like you can pick it up on third down. It's important for State to win on first down. Now, in those first two drives last year, and if you read the article, you know this, State won on first down, and then the two times that Kentucky sacked us, and they only got us twice, both of those came on second downs on the very first two drives in the first quarter for Mississippi State. And then that ultimately gets us in third long. We didn't convert and had the punt. Looking at Kentucky's tendencies, they enjoy the second down blitz. And how many people do you see, well, we're just going to wait and bring pressure on third down? Well, they do. But they were getting at us on second down. And I think that's a byproduct of winning on first down. And, again, that's Mark Stoops, one of the best defensive minds in college football, certainly in the Southeastern Conference. I think everybody kind of respects him for that. They're going to bring some pressure. And a lot of people had said, well, but Steve, they sat and dropped eight the whole night. They didn't, actually. They didn't. Let's go back to that very first scoring drive for Mississippi State. State gets down 10 nothing in this ball game. We come back and make it a 10-7 game. Now, in that particular drive, Kentucky was basically a drop eight. They brought some occasional pressure, but not much. And I've got the numbers in front of me here. Drop eight, they showed four, and then dropped eight. Drop eight, showed four, dropped eight, drop eight, four-man front on a third down, third and short play, we convert. Then they go back to drop eight. And then on second down, they showed four, but only brought three. And there's a pass interference call. And then it's a drop eight again. We go down and score. So basically, it's drop eight the entire drive, except on third and short, and they bring in a fourth defensive lineman. Now, a lot of times in these Kentucky drives, too, they work with two down linemen. They showed a three-man front, but they only had two guys down in a four-point stance. They would stand up an edge rusher out there. Now, that works really well against his own read as long as you pick the right side. But I think it's one of the reasons State elected to run football so much. State ran the football a season-high 35 times in the game. You take what the defense gives you. Now, on this second scoring drive for State, when State took a 14-10 lead, this is what I thought was interesting. Because, again, I was under the misconception they would drop eight the whole ballgame. They absolutely were not drop eight the whole ballgame. They come out on first down, and it is a drop eight. And then it's four-man front, and then they drop eight again. And then it's a four-man front, and they bring pressure. Then on second down, they bring pressure. Then it's drop eight. Then it's four-man front, four-man front, four-man front. They bring pressure. Showed three, brought four. Showed three, brought four. Showed four, brought five. So it's like the, the drive we go down and score, it's like, okay, we're just going to sit back in coverage and let Mississippi State implode. We're going to make them drive the length of the field. Well, then the second drive, you're like, okay, well, we can't just let Will Rogers sit back there and pick us apart. Let's bring pressure. On this drive, we never faced a third down. The longest down and distance we had after a first down was second and three. And on that particular play, the second and three, they bring five. Again, a second down pressure. And Will Rogers makes a quick throw out to Scooby Ford, who makes a great catch to move the chains. And then from there, State goes in and scores, and it's 14-10. Now, later in the ballgame, especially in the second half, 
Kentucky brought more pressure. That's the thing. But, well, I expect a lot of pressure. Guys, they pressured a lot last year. We just handled it. You look up and say, well, there was two sacks. They didn't stop blitzing. We were just able to pick it up and protect. Now, let's talk about weather a little bit. That's a concern, right? Maybe not the way that it ordinarily would be, but uh, usually the teams that run the football kind of do better in the weather. But, uh, you know, we have played in some rain, even with the air raid, and, and been okay. But, uh, you know, if we get into a torrential downpour, that could be a problem. The, the, the best part of that is, is that it's a turf field. It's a turf field in, uh, in Lexington. That's important to kind of understand, too. Now, looking at, at the, the, the radar now or looking at the forecast, it's actually improved. Looks like we may be okay weather-wise. But in the event that there is some moisture in the air, maybe a storm comes up late. I don't know the weather in Kentucky. It's so unpredictable down here in the south. If there is some rain, it's not the issue that it would be maybe on a grass field because of the fact those turf fields drain so well. Maybe a little bit slick. I asked Jason Washington this week, do you do anything different with footwear when you're playing on turf? He goes, man, guys, just go play. And the turf today is basically so much better than what we all grew up watching and playing on. You don't need additional footwear. You need to go change things. And you start changing things, you get guys off their game a little bit anyway. But the reality of it is, is that the weather should be okay. And again, if, even if it is a little moisture, it's going to be fine. It shouldn't slow us down. There's a lot of times, too, and I want to talk about this. And, and again, I get people sometimes, well, Steve, come on. We got some fans out there that's like we're just expecting us to lose all the time. And, I, and I, I don't understand it. We're a good football team. You know, Kentucky, I think, is an average football team. And people say, well, Steve, you're a Kentucky hater. I'm not a Kentucky hater. I'm, I'm a hater of these media folks that continue to prop them up every year. And these people talking about they're going to win the East this year. Give me a break. You got the defending national champions in the same division. They return a lot, especially on offense. So, no, you're not going to do that. Not to mention Kentucky lost a lot last year from last year's roster. Yes, they returned Will Levis, and that's a guy, too, that I think is a little bit overvalued. But you know what? I don't rank NFL quarterbacks. But we are the better team. If we lose this football game, it's not a toss-up. It's an upset. State is favored in the game. State is ranked higher in the, in the polls. State has the better record. State wore this team out last year. Now, the flip side of that is, you know, State also forced four turnovers last year. You're not going to be able to depend on that. Now, turnovers are part of the game of football. You don't believe me? Go back and look at that 2020 game when we got beat, what, 24 to 2. Didn't score a single offensive point for the first time in Mike Leach's career. So Kentucky didn't get any turnovers last year. They lost. We, we, we committed six a year before we lost. So turnovers are part of the game. We've got to do a good job managing the game and keeping the football. We go up there and get loose and fast with the football, put the ball on the turf, we're going to lose. But go ahead and prepare you for that. We go over there and lose turnover battle, we're going to lose the ball game. But you can't expect to be able to get three or four turnovers a game. It's not going to happen. Now, State's done a pretty good job forcing turnovers this year. But this is a Kentucky team that's desperate in many respects. Now, one of the things that uh, I preached as a coach that I believe as an adult is it doesn't matter how bad you want it if you're not good enough. That's a reality of life. And people are like, well, you know, this Kentucky team's going to be desperate. Well, they haven't played well for three weeks. 
They had Will Lavis against Northern Illinois, and they struggled to win the game. They won by eight. Wasn't a good game. They had Will Levis against Ole Miss. He didn't play well. Some of that's got to do with Ole Miss, too. you got to give Ole Miss some credit, too. Ole Miss went out there and made him uncomfortable. He turned the football over, had a couple fumbles late. And, yeah, I was pulling for Kentucky to win that game, of course. I'm a Mississippi State guy. But the reality of it is Ole Miss made winning plays. Kentucky didn't. Will Levis didn't play last week. And South Carolina, a team that's very, very average, you saw, you heard the numbers on Spencer Radler. If Spencer Rattler will give you the game if you let him. And Kentucky not, just couldn't get it done. Mississippi State's won three games in a row. None of those games have been close. But we have some segment of the fan base is like, well, we're due for a loss. What kind of, what kind of cockamamie stuff is that? We're due for a loss? Why aren't we due for a big season? Well, I've been a state fan a long time. Well, I have too. I've been a state fan over 50 years. I know what it was like in the 80s. But how are we ever going to break through if we don't kind of embrace where we are and the fact that even when we're having a good season that we expect failure? And, you know, really, at the end of the day, it's like it's going to be what it's going to be. I'm just trying to enjoy the journey. And I go back to the beginning of the season. Somebody has picked us to lose every one of these games with, with the exception of the Bowling Green game. Whether it be somebody in the regional media, even some of our fans were seeing ghosts about Bowling Green. Oh, we're expecting them to lay down. You know, They beat Marshall last week, and Marshall beat Notre Dame the week before. So you look at the transit of properties. Oh, well, that means we're going to get beat because we're not as good as Notre Dame. Come on, give me a break. But I go back to the Memphis game. People were like, you know what? Memphis beat us last year. They're a good team. They're going to march into Starkville and beat us. And, of course, we had that crazy rain delay. But we won that game 49-23. We won by 26 points, and they scored a garbage touchdown late. And people were like, well, here we go again. 26 points. And then it's like, well, Arizona's much improved. Arizona went out into San Diego State. You know, they were hyped up with Snapdragon Stadium. They were debuting the brand-new stadium. Everybody's excited. And Arizona went in there and smashed them. We're going to lose. We beat them 39-17. to Could have and probably should have beat them worse. Then we go down to LSU and we lose. We didn't play well. The moment, I think, proved to be a little bit big for us. And I'm not going to discount the fact Cole Kublik, of course, mentioned it about how difficult it was to go out west and come back and go back on the road the next week. Were we a little bit fatigued? Maybe. But the reality of it is we didn't play well. But maybe all those drops were a sign of team fatigue. But I still go back to the fact that we were up 13-0 in this ballgame on the road in the SEC, kind of doing what we wanted to do on offense, and then we give up the two-minute drill, let them get back in the ball game. And then even with that, it, it, heading into the fourth quarter, we had the lead on the road in Death Valley. Despite the fact we've gone to Arizona, despite the fact that we historically don't play well in Death Valley, we had the lead through three quarters, and we blew it. It's not that LSU dictated terms to us. We blew it. We dropped, what, seven, eight passes in that ball game. We muffed the punt. 
Let somebody else do that against us. We'll wear them out. You can't go to Death Valley, which I believe has the greatest home field advantage in all of college football, and make the kind of mistakes Mississippi State made and win the ball game. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Even when LSU is just good. They don't have to be great or be elite. You go down there with the talent they have available, and you don't convert on third down when you're wide open. I love, I, there was a comment yesterday on the message board. A guy said, well, I didn't like our play calling. Guys, play calling got our guys wide open. None of those drops were contested. We just dropped the football. That's not play calling. That's player execution. And then, of course, you know, Bowling Green finally wins the game. We beat them 45-14. to 14. Probably should have beat them worse. And so now we're 3-1, and one, and some of our fans are thinking, okay, what do we need to do to get to the Independence Bowl? Can we, can we eke six out? Texas A&M's coming in with Devin Achain. They're going to run all over us. He doesn't. They don't. We win 42-24. And really got some style points in the ballgame. I think a lot of people realize Mississippi State might be for real this year. But we kind of make an excuse, you know, like, well, you know, Texas A&M didn't play well. Then we get Arkansas, and, of course, DJ doesn't play. That's significant. I believe State would have beat them either way. I don't think we beat them 40-17. to 17. But a lot of people worried about that running game. We you know, did a good job containing the running game. And when we beat those guys by 23 points, the same margin of victory that Alabama did. And now we get Kentucky. I don't think it's wrong to expect to win this football game. Mississippi State is the better team. Mississippi State is trending in the better direction. It's like I begin to think, like, if, if we were playing Mississippi State, let's say we were the team that struggled against Northern Illinois, a 1-5 Northern Illinois team. Let's say we struggled against them and barely beat them. And then we lost the next two to a good old Miss team and a very mediocre South Carolina team. If we had lost two in a row and arguably should have lost three in a row, and we're facing a team that has scored 40 points three games in a row. How would we feel? Would we expect to win that game? We absolutely would not expect to win that game. But now the shoe is on the other foot. We're the team blowing people out, about to go play a team, but it's not playing well. Why should we not expect to go win this game? Oh, well, Steve, we hadn't won there the last three times. You know what? That's absolutely true. has no bearing on this game, none whatsoever. I actually looked up the history of the series yesterday. We've taken some good teams to Kentucky and come home with loss. Actually, we haven't. Let me see if I can find that for you real quick here. I'm not going to spend my time on this because we've got to get out of here. But I ran this number yesterday, and a couple people didn't like it. Of course, I'm too positive for them. You know, I expect Mississippi State to win, and that's offensive to some people. Um but I'm going to continue to expect good things from Mississippi State, you know. And then my hope is even if you don't, if even if you don't, we can all celebrate together a bull, big bulldog win on Saturday or Sunday. How, how that, how'd that be? I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to gloat. I'm not going to come out and say I told you so. But it's okay to believe that Mississippi State is a good football team. But here you go. Here are our losses at Kentucky. 2020, we lose. They were five and six. We were four and seven. 
2018, we lose arguably one of the better teams that we've had in recent memory. You know what? Kentucky was 10 and three that year. We were eight and five. 2016, they're seven and six. We're six and seven. 2005, we're three and eight. They're three and eight. 2003, they're four and eight. We're two and ten. 98, we lose and win the West. They're seven and five. We're eight and five. We have an eight and four regular season, and then we lose in the uh, conference championship game. 96, they're four and seven. We're five and six. 1990, we're four and seven. We're five and six. They're four and seven. 85, we're both five and six. 77, they're 10 and one, and we're five and six. 72, they're three and eight. We're four and seven. 58, they're five and four. We're three and six. 53, seven, two and one for them. Five, two and three for us. And 51 against Bear Bryant, they're eight and four. We're four and five. In 1916, they're six and two. We're six, one and one. In 1914, they're five and three, we're six and two. And so basically, we have been even or worse than Kentucky, with rare exception when we've lost a game up there, when we have taken the better team up there. And this is the last point I made about that. There have just been three Bulldog teams to lose in Lexington and in a season with a winning record in the past 100 years of college football. So, yes, we should expect to win this game. Yes, we should expect to take the next step as a program. Yes, we should expect good things to happen at Mississippi State because we deserve them. But not only that, we've got a great coach, got a great quarterback. You look at all the numbers, and of course, you know, numbers will lead you down the the wrong line of thinking. But Mississippi State is playing better football than the University of Kentucky. And that's not to say that Kentucky can't win the game. They certainly can. They're playing in their own backyard. It's difficult to win on the road in the SEC, as evidenced by that trip to Baton Rouge. Much different circumstance this time. I think State has a lot more confidence in itself, has settled some things down on offense and defense. Not to mention, Kentucky's got one of the worst offensive lines in the country and a quarterback that's recovering from a turf toe injury and a dislocated uh, finger on his non-throwing hand. You know, again, they're not going to give us a ball game. But Mississippi State is more than capable of going up there and taking this game. And that's what I expect them to do. That's it for today. If you haven't done so, go to dogpiledabook.com and you can get a copy of Dogpile, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Flim Flam. Of course, Blooms of Oleander available through Amazon, BarnesNoble.com, BooksMillion.com. Stark Villains gear, we've had a good run on that as of late. You can find that at StarkVillains.com. And come over to jeanspage.com and subscribe and join our band of misfits over there as we uh, debate the merits of the MSU logos and uh, the value of Will, Will Riders as a quarterback and where he ranks historically. We're excited about Mississippi State football. I'm so glad the season is here and that we're playing well. And how great would it be to come back here on Monday and talk about the 6-1 and one Mississippi State Bulldogs. That's what we expect to happen. It's certainly what we hope to happen. And uh, let's all kind of get together and will this thing along as best we can. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.